Welcome to the HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com podcast. The opinions and ideas expressed on this show are solely those of HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com and its guests. This is the very best of professional wrestling, both independent and mainstream. Yes, sir, you already know where you've reached and you already know where you have arrived. This is the number one up-and-coming professional wrestling podcast in the New York City and Tri-State area. You already know what it is. This is the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly.com podcast. And once again, I'm so happy to say, what up, though? I'm your host, Sean H. And we have another huge show in store for you tonight with a guest that is nothing short of a legend in the professional wrestling industry. He is a founding member of the Hit Squad. Is the Hit Squad still in existence? Has it broken up? We're going to talk a lot about that because there's been some major problems and a major shakeup between my guest and his longtime tag team partner, Dan Moth. We're going to get into a lot of things, but before we do, we want to remind you, for all your web development needs, make sure you go to hoscrea.com. That's H-A-A-S-C-R-E-A.com, hoscrea.com, because we love tech. Yo, we're so excited to be coming to you right here on the HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com website, as well as now iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, so make sure you download us, subscribe, and enjoy this show each and every Thursday night at 8.30 p.m., as well as on demand. We're going to get right into it right away. Our guest is standing by, and we are so happy to have him with us tonight. Like I said, truly a legend in the industry. And uh, he has a lot to say. He's going to give us so much insight on the wrestling business. Talk about, you know, how he got into the industry, where his love for the industry comes from. And some fallout that he's had with his longtime tag team partner, including some things he's going to talk about in the future. But we're going to introduce him right now. So happy to have him. Yo, it's a blessing. Yo, give it up for our guest. Welcome, Steve Mack. Thank you for having me. How's everything going tonight? Chilling, man. We're really happy to have you. Thanks for taking the time. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Um, I I'll never turn down many uh, interview requests, um, but uh, the fact that you had on my good buddy Miss Felicia Rose on uh, let me know that you were legit. And um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things I'm always looking out for everybody that's up and coming. And when I see people that I know doing stuff. It, it lets me know that it's good, it's a good deal. So you got some uh, you got some pop behind you going now. I appreciate it, boss. That, that's a blessing. Thank you so much. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a really cool thing to have a man of your clout and your reputation on this show. And I just want to jump right into it, man. Um, you know, I think my listeners. By the way, shout out to my listeners. Appreciate each and every one of y'all. Um, you know, when you have a man like Steve Mack on the show, you want to dive right in and kind of get the background of who he is where he comes from, and how he got into the industry, and go all the way up to the present day about what he's doing in the ring, current storylines, and things of that nature. So if you could take me back, Steve, and talk about how you kind of fell in love with the industry, how you came to where you are now, and how you became, I'd say, a really big name in the industry in 2018. Well, thank you very much for the compliment. Um, Really, it started when I was around three or four. Uh, My grandfather loved pro wrestling. Um, and it carried on throughout the rest of the family. Uh, pretty much everybody in our family loved pro wrestling. Um, uh, a lot of people know that Loki's my cousin and we lived close to each other. So we were kind of like growing up like brothers because we right. saw each other went to the same school, pretty much in the same classes. Um, and we were with each other almost every weekend. And, um, you know, I could clearly remember my uncle, his father, um, showing us. Hulk Hogan and him beating the Iron Sheik and that just like changed everything for us and uh, from that point on everything we did was uh, you know wrestling uh, related and 
We watch WCW, we watch WWF, E, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we watch ECW, we used to get all the magazines. Right. Um, whatever there was, you name it, we had it. And uh, we, you know, we loved a lot of other things. Like, I, I mean, if you follow me on social media, I'm always plugging my video game love. And, you know, um, he has his love for martial arts. And, you know, we had our love for sports. We grew up playing basketball, football, baseball, everything you could play, we played it. And, um, but wrestling was something that was always like, you know, one of our biggest deals. And as a matter of fact, not too long ago, I posted on my Facebook a clip of, um, Rey Mysterio, uh, countering Eddie Guerrero's, uh, avalanche powerbomb off the top. Yes, yes. And Halloween was, Havoc, right? Yep. Yep. My man. And, uh, he and I practiced that before we even, before we even got into the ring for the first time. We were practicing that. Um, in, in my bedroom, like we had laid down the mattresses on the floor. We had stacked up some, uh, tubs, uh, you know, plastic moving tubs and we could have died. We were practicing it with the Rada and everything. And, uh, you know, it, it was just something that one way or another, we were going to be a part of the business. And, um, you know, it Ended up because uh, we had a, a friend, uh, Low Life Louie and Mace um, from the Christmas Street. Uh, we all went to high school together. Mace and Louie were doing, um, it was, it, it, I always say it, it was like a step above backyard wrestling. Right. Uh, it was, uh, uh, there was this church in Brooklyn that had a ring that was owned by this guy, Pedro uh, Rodriguez, who used to run Arena Puerto Rico. And back in the 70s, he was like, you know, uh, enhancement talent and ring crew for the WWE, WF in the garden and stuff like that. And uh, he used to rent out his ring or his ring to um, guys like us who wanted to just be in there. Because, you know, this was during the time of the Attitude Era, 97, yes, 96. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, you know, we all wanted to be Stone Cold and we all wanted to be The Rock and Bret Hart and, you know, um, Shawn Michaels. And it, he was taping this little access program for Brooklyn and St- I think it was Brooklyn, Staten Island and Manhattan Public Access. It was called uh, IWW, Insane World Wrestling. And um, there's a lot of guys who actually went to Pedro, guys like SAT, Quiet Storm, Red, uh, me, Key, um, Christopher Street Connection, Buffy and Mace, uh, Louie, uh, Homicide. He was the guy that, you know, was one of the top dogs there. Lace on uh, Tower of Torture, who was the guy who used to train us uh, and, and like a, a whole bunch of other guys that you would never know that became something on the indie scene or even on TV or international all came from this place. And um, you know, it was just, we were all hungry and Louie invited us down and he just made something out of it. And we were able to be seen by Homicide. And from that point on, once Homicide and Lathan saw us, it was just nonstop going. And uh, eventually we met Bobby Lombardi and he ran the Long Island Wrestling Federation, LWS. Right. right. Uh, he opened up the Doghouse Wrestling School, and that was it. That was what changed the world because once we were able to get into the ring 24 7 and we had access to it anytime we wanted, it was just nonstop every day. Uh, I tell, you know, I, I told the story before where Homicide and Loki would start at midnight and they'd train until 8 in the morning just in the ring, grappling and running drills and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and others would be there from 12 to eight or 12 to 12, just, you know, doing everything that we could just to get in that ring and do what we loved and learn from it and learn from each other and be better. And, um, you know, it, it just, from that point on, it was just, Oh, we're going to Japan. Oh, we're going to Puerto Rico. Oh, we're going to Mexico. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing that. And, uh, it just, it was, it was a crazy ride. You know what I mean? Oh damn! And it, I mean, it's so dope to as a wrestling fan and now and now a journalist to see somebody who's in the business who's been really, I guess, implementing himself in in so many different ways. Like you said, so many different parts of the country, outside the country, abroad, where you have practiced your craft. And like you said, low key being your cousin and so many people in your life helping you to perfect your craft and seeing where you are today. It's got to be inspiring to the generation coming behind you i mean you're still in your prime but i'm talking about for those who are just starting out who want to be successful in this industry to see the steve max of the world doing his thing it's got to be a good you know thing to look up to 
Well, it's, it's definitely, it's crazy for me because there's a lot of people over the years who, in one way or another, I helped, uh, I had a hand in their training or I helped them get over with the crowd or I had a feud with them and it, you know, got them to that next level of TV and um, not even TV, just international or, you know, uh, tryouts and stuff like that. And, it, it, you know, like when you look back at all the guys that I've been in the ring with that have gone through that, you got guys like right now, Tammy Callahan is one of the biggest names in the North, in North uh, America, in the world, period. Absolutely. And he's somebody that right, right before he got signed, I was in the middle of a feud with. You have Jay Lethal, who one of his very first matches, me and Moff got into it with him, and we had a little bit of a feud. And then going into Ring of Honor, we had with, you know, Special K that feud, and he was a part of that. And, you know, guys like Charlie Haas and Russ Haas that, you know, they used a lot of the footage from our matches to, you know, put on their tape so that they could get hired by the WWE. And, you know, there's so many people like that that, you know, you don't even realize sometimes that they're going to be something. And then next thing you know, boom, they're all over the place, you know? No, it's funny you say um, that, man, because I definitely, I definitely did my homework. And I know that you definitely were working with, with Jay Lethal back in the day, a major star from Impact and Ring of Honor, I mean, that had to be a really cool thing. And like I said, man, like, you're talking about, I mean, you're, you're a very humble guy, I could tell. You're talking about how they have gotten over and had success in the business. You've gotten over and had success in the business, too. So I guess, you know, one hand washes the other. You guys helped each other out, am I right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and the, the thing about, when you look at the four guys that are in the group, uh, it's myself, Low-Key, Homicide, and Dan Ma. Um, the one thing that we always strive to be was different and real. And we, you know, we always said, um, you know, you don't forget where you come from because you meet the same people on the way up as you do on the way down. And, you know, I try to help everybody out as much as possible. We all do. And, you know, we always try, if you see us in the locker room, we're always trying to give the younger guys advice or, you know, just, you know, a lot of guys will come up and ask for critique because they know that we're going to be as real and honest with them as, po- as possible because we want the business to be in a better shape. And we want these kids to who are in there that are going to come and take our place, we want them to be in a better way. You know, in, in this business, everyone should be striving to make some money. Right. And, you know, it, it, is, a, it is professional sports. Whether, you know, you see the sports or the t- entertainment, you're still putting your body on the line. Oh, no doubt. And you no still doubt. should be compensated. And, and, you know, I, when I say compensated, I don't mean, oh, you got a $50 payday because you did some crazy. I'm talking get compensated like the guys used to, like Dusty Rhodes used to, like Rick Flair, like Bruiser Brody, Dan Hansen, all the guys that we looked up to that made hundreds of thousands every year busting their ass and killing themselves, but they got paid properly. And that's the problem today. There's a lot of kids who don't understand what that means to get properly paid. So... We are always trying to show them not just the physical aspect, but the business aspect. So that when they do go to the next level, TV, international, they're not getting treated like chumps. They're getting paid properly what they should be getting paid for putting their body on the line. Absolutely. I mean, I was talking about that during a previous episode. Um, I believe it was with Ivy Roman of the Greatest of All Time Stable. And I was talking about how you guys, meaning pro wrestlers, definitely put your bodies on the line and I I was talking about how disrespectful it is for you know there's always going to be naysayers that talk about how wrestling is quote-unquote fake because it's a storyline based product I mean there couldn't be more of a disrespectful thing to come out of somebody's mouth than to use the word fake with the sacrifices you guys make every single day of your lives in order to put on a product that you guys put on each and every time you get in that ring I was explaining to her as I'll explain to you that I um, I played baseball on the college level. I wasn't a superstar or anything, but I, I, I had to bust my tail just to be a moderately successful college athlete. You know what I'm trying to say? So compare that mm-hmm. to what you guys do in the ring every single night. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but even with college sports, it's comparable because in college, you're working just as hard as the pros. It's not harder, but you're not being compensated. You're not even allowed to be compensated. Right. You know? Um, and, and, you know, and I get it. Not everyone who plays a sport in high school is going to go D1 or even D2, but you should still be able to get something out of it. And I guess they say, you know, well, they get the scholarship. All right, well, what happens when you can't play ball anymore? Are you still allowed to have that scholarship? Because I know a lot of kids are kicked out of school once they get hurt. You know exactly, what I mean? Exactly. But, 
know, it, it's the same thing with wrestling. You know, it, it's a very dangerous sport, a very dangerous thing to be a part of because at any moment, any an inch can make a huge difference. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. And oh, sure. Ask Stone Cold Steve Austin. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The biggest star in the world, but his career is done over 10 years ago or whatever it was, 20 yep. years ago, yep. because of, uh, you know, a, 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 a goof, I guess. I, I can't even say that it was something like, like, it's hard to talk about because Owen was such a professional. And yes. Owen was one of the greatest of all time. It's just a yeah, weird, a weird accident. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but you know, uh, like with pro wrestling, though, you know, yeah, it is predetermined. Yeah, it is, you know, um, it, it is work uh, for entertainment aspect. But at the same time, you know, every time you come off the top rope, you feel it. Every time you hit the ropes, you feel it. Every time you take a regular bump, any time you take a punch or a kick, any one of those things, any big move, you feel it. And I see a lot of these kids taking bumps on like. The corner of the apron where it's like the hardest part of the ring and you know it, it's it's something that eventually your body can only take so many bumps and what are you going to do when you can't take any more bumps Absolutely. you know so Absolutely. i always you know when i talk to, to kids i want them to make it look as real as possible obviously because you know it's supposed to be a fight and sometimes it is a real fight <laughs> i know i've been in them yes you know I mean? but <laughs> right i i, I just you want them to, to present something that the people can question, like just like they question when they watch a movie and they see something, a cool-ass stunt. Was that real or was that CGI? You want them to do the same thing in pro wrestling. Was that real or did that, like, I, how did they fake that? There's no way they could have faked that. You want them questioning. So that way when they question, they're like, hey, uh, my friend, come here. Let me show you this. Was this real or fake? And then next thing you know, the two friends are going to this next show because they want to see more of it, you know? Also, back then, there was no internet. Yeah, there was phone services that you could call and hotlines that you could get info from, but you had to pay. And, you know, now everything is instant uh, media. The second, like Ellsworth. Everyone knew Ellsworth was in the building. Right. And <laughs> had money in the bank. Showed up yep. on the pay-per-view. Yep. Everyone knew who it was. You know what I mean? It wasn't a surprise. Absolutely. Like, but imagine if they didn't know that it was Ellsworth and there was the possibility that it could have been CM Punk in Chicago. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Oh, my like, God. Can you imagine? Jeez. But, Jeez. But that's the problem with social media is that, you know, instant news, instant uh, reporting, and, you know, there's no element of surprise, so you have to be really clever. That's why I love, I said it on Monday on my uh, Facebook I was watching, or Sunday, I'm sorry, I was watching the uh, Hardy Boys documentary, and mm -hmm. having that I was down in Orlando, and, you know, I didn't go to WrestleMania, because I, I that's just not my theme. Like, I, I used to go to WWE shows back in the days, but, okay. you know, as I got into it, I just, unless I'm hanging out in the locker room or something like that, just, that's the only way I would be at a WWE event. Watching the Hardy Boys thing when they showed up at WrestleMania 33 was such a great surprise. I had just saw them the night before. And I was just like, man, that's so cool that no one knew about the surprise. And, like, watching the documentary, I still got chills, even though I already knew. You know, they hyped it up on the dock where it was going and stuff like that. But, like, the night of WrestleMania, like, it was just like, I almost woke everybody up in the house. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> it was so awesome. It was so awesome, Steve. That. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't so, agree you know, more. more stuff like that, wrestling. No doubt, man. It's funny you brought that up because um, I was just about to ask you to dive, to dig into that a little bit deeper. The social media era that we're in right now, you know, you kind of touched on it on your own, right? You know, obviously, you, you kind of read my mind on that question, but I want you to dig a little deeper and talk about how you feel like the social media era has maybe hindered or helped the industry. I know how you just, you just explained it pretty much, but if you could dig a little deeper, because that was kind of on my <laughs> rundown of things to talk about, because... We're going to dig in a little bit later about, you know, how you kind of turned your back on your longtime friend and longtime partner. And, uh, you know, we want to talk about how social media may have hindered that, even though it was, made, uh, you know, super awesome. But like maybe social media can mess up moments like what happened back in the month of April. You know, if you could touch on that for a little bit. Yeah, um, well, I mean, obviously, you know, with it, people, I mean, because back in the days, I remember being at an ECW show where Sandman came back from WCW, and mm -hmm. it was a surprise, but I knew when I got to the building that he was already there. You know what I mean? And, like, people were being called, and, oh, my God, hack is back. And, like, 
so it's been around before the internet blew up, like you know stuff like this. But you know, it was just you really had to know the access points of how to get in. Now anyone can get in. Anyone can find out anything because every site, every you know page, every social media outlet reports it before it even happens. So you know, it, it's just like oh man. But you know, there are ways to work around it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if you if you if you're smart and intelligent. You know, it, it really, you can work around not seeing any of this stuff. But as far as, like, wrestlers using social media to get themselves over, it's a great form to help that. I mean, when me, Moss, Key, and Homicide were blowing up, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't even have MySpace. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you had, yeah, you had the, the uh, AOL Grandstand message board. And oh, yes. Then, oh, yes. Like, <laughs> you could look at, you know, you could look at too much on there. You know what I mean? Right, so, right. We we came up where you had to make a name for yourself some way or another, and the only way you did it was to provide good quality, you know, entertainment, put on a really great show, and that's what we strive. That's why for us, you know, like <clears throat> with, with like all right, so like Ring of Honor was started because Feinstein was seeing guys like us um, after ECW closed. He was seeing guys like us at JAP and. Frank Goodman's USA Pro and Absolutely. Zach Savage's ICW. Absolutely. And, you know, he saw all the stuff. So he picked the guys. I mean, we were the first guys that he contacted us. He, SAT, Homicide, Red. We were the first guys that he contacted for his company. And, you know, it was like, it sounds kind of like a braggadocious, you know, the reason why that company was started is because of the stuff that we were doing. We changed the business. We didn't do what ECW did. ECW was ECW and it was great. Okay. And when it ended, it was sad, but we took stuff that we were seeing in Japan, we took stuff that we were seeing in Mexico, in Europe, and Puerto Rico. Um, we were seeing all this crazy stuff and putting it into our style. And, you know, that's why Ring of Honor happened was because of that. We were changing the game and we, we changed it so much that this company that just got denied access to Madison Square Garden by the WWE. That's how big time it is. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's still thriving today somehow. You know what I mean? And it created a whole bunch of stars, but that was before social media. Imagine if we had social media back then. Oh, my God. We would have taken over the WWE. Massive, massive. (laughs) But that's, that's the thing with a lot of these guys. You know, they have to understand the power of social media and what it can do for you and you know, how it can mess you up and affect you if you don't know how to treat it right. You know, a lot of these cats put a lot of way too personal stuff on there. And if I'm a booker or promoter, I'm not going to hire someone who's a, a space cadet, you know what I mean? Someone who's crying every week. I'm going to hire someone who's clear, you know? Nah, you're hitting the nail right on the head. And speak, and speaking of social media, I think your Ring of Honor analogy is, is, is right on the money. A lot of people call Ring of Honor the uh, the new ECW, but... I think it's the new ECW plus, just for the reasons you mentioned. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely an influx of ECW type storylines and type activity in the ring, but it's so much more than that. The athleticism is on another level. Ring of Honor, I think, is honestly the. I mean, I think it's safe to say the second best mainstream organization in the industry right now. I mean, I guess that's debatable. You mm-hmm. got New Japan, you got Impact, but um, you know they're really doing their thing. But I wanted to ask you a question specifically about Impact, if you don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. You you can see the writing on the the wall, Steve, uh, about how you know Dixie Carter appearing on WWE uh, documentaries, you know um, the Bruce Pritchard spinoff podcast that they're they're simulcasting on the network, and their subject matter is AJ Styles and TNA. It looks like there might be something in the works. Obviously, you know I'm not behind the scenes when it comes to knowing anything. This is merely and strictly speculation, but. It looks like Impact or an acquisition of Impact talent or acquisition of Impact videos or whatever the case may be. It seems like Vince and the powers that be over there are up to something. What do you feel about an Invasion 2.0? I mean, I don't think WWE knocked it out of the park back in 2001 with the WCW ECW Invasion. If they had a chance to do it again, how do you think it would play out this time with Impact? Well, I mean, speaking as honest, as I possibly can, mm-hmm. and not trying to offend anyone. Right. I, I don't see an invasion with uh, impact being something that would be highly anticipated or 
would be something that would draw really well simply for the fact that when you look at WCW and the history of WCW, WCW was always looked at as the number two company until the point where for 89 weeks or whatever it was, they beat <laughs> right. WWE rating. Right. So that's why with WCW, there was such a huge expectation because these guys obviously had the talent to take over the WWE and draw people away from the WWE at the time. But WWE was in a place where rather than enhance and make the product better, they wanted to just rub it in their face that they got beat and bought out. You right, know I mean? exactly, so, exactly. Um, but with Impact, they've never beaten anything WWE in any ratings. Um, I have a lot of friends in Impact. I have, you know, a lot of knowledge. I almost worked for them last year. Oh, wow, um, awesome, awesome. You know, well, yeah, you know, and like, it just, when you look at it, they are, at one point, maybe when like, Around the 2000, like when Kurt Angle came in, like 2006. Yes. When him and Joe were doing things. Maybe around that time, they could have made something out of it. But at this point right now, if you you ask me to name the top five things outside of LAX, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything that's going on in Impact because so much has changed just in this year alone. And it's a sad fact when... I've watched more Impact Wrestling on the WWE Network than I have on regular Impact programming. That's a you that's know, a very good years. point. Wow. Yes. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be something of high value. I would love to see my friends uh, and some of the really good talent that I don't know get a shot at the big time. Unfortunately, if they were to take over, I don't really see it happening. There's only a couple of guys. You know, there's a couple of guys that I know that they're definitely interested in, but. Outside of that, I can't really see them doing much because a lot of the guys that end up in Impact are guys that WWE turned down at some point. Right. Back in, back in first of all, I, you hit the nail right on the head. Second of all, back in 2010, when Hogan came in and, you know, Bischoff was there and they tried to revamp the NWO, they couldn't call it the NWO. They were the band, which was, oh my God, that was terrible. But, you know, seeing oh, the familiar faces was, was really dope, but... It didn't work out, as you mentioned. I mean, you can't bring back the Nasty Boys in 2010 and expect to be successful, nah. especially when especially when that big segment when Hogan and Bischoff came out with all the former members of the NWO on the WWE, it was a, you know, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels reunion. So, I mean, my God, how can you compete with that? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's not even close. But the one thing with TNA that they had at the time was when they started the Aces and Aces. Oh, that was Even huge. Yes. It was a clear, it was a clear um, Sons of Anarchy ripoff, mm-hmm. but Bubba Ray and Devon and all those guys, they made it legit. And the problem was, Impact didn't have anybody to counter them. Okay. You can tell me that AJ was Team Impact, but AJ by himself isn't going to beat a whole bunch of thugs. You That's know what true. I mean? That's true. And then you have the problem that happened with the NWO too many members. If you limit it to five or six, not a problem, but then it grows and it grows, and people are like, ugh, I don't really care because no one on the other t- uh, there's no way you can tell me anyone on the other team is going to beat all these guys. You know what I mean? So, it like, became impossible it to imagine. You're right. Reality and, and and you know how can that be real when you know the the guy who is opposing them is one guy. Sting was the only guy you felt like could take on twenty guys and actually get it done back in the nineties, the mid the ninety seven ninety six against the NWO. Of course. Yeah. And and why, though? Because he was using guerrilla tactics where he would come out of nowhere and attack one, attack the other, and use the baseball bat. And it was something different from Sting. Someone, he was credible. He was someone that you could believe could beat most of these guys outside of maybe the big show. You know what I mean? Like, right. he could everybody up and get away with it. But AJ Styles, I love AJ. He's one of my favorite people in the business. He's someone that I'm very proud of. I just saw he was on the cover of the WWE uh, video game for 2K19, 2K19 which yep. is something that I know was a huge goal for him. And I'm very proud. He's a mad, humble dude, really cool, awesome guy. AJ is five foot eight at his highest. And who's he really beating? You know what I'm saying? He might get the first two or three guys if he's on the other team. You know right, I mean? but right, like, right. Huh. After that, how many is it going to take before he finally comes down and collapses? You know what I mean? No, I couldn't agree more. I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. But listen, 
Steve, I, I, I can't I can't let this interview start and stop without addressing the elephant in the room and we're gonna we're gonna take it we're gonna take it where the fans wanna take it. Um every every show I've done so far, you know, I have kind of like a Twitter Q and A. I'm gonna do it a little different with you, Steve, because everybody's been asking me the same question. And and there's just no doubt that if I went anywhere else, my my listeners would, would get mad at me for not asking what is, like I said, the true elephant in the room. You and Dan Moff. I mean, you guys, thickest thieves, you guys go back years, world-renowned, all over the country. You guys have been doing it for a long time, side-by-side, back-to-back, shoulder-to-shoulder, whatever you want to call it. Back in the month of April, at it was all a dream, NYC. Shout out to NYC Pro Wrestling. Make sure you check them out. HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com will be there on August 10th. Back in the month of April... I'll let you describe it because I think I wouldn't do it as good of justice as you would. That's why I wanted you on the show. I want you to talk about mm-hmm. it, man. What was the, what was your, what were you thinking, man? I mean, the fans were stunned. I'm still stunned. Tell us what brought you to the point of making the decision you made to turn your back on your longtime friend. Well, I mean, let's go back to 1999. Okay. <clears throat> That uh, was the year that I met Mop. I had seen Mop as a fan at Jersey All Pro, and uh, he was a maniac. He used to be around the front row, just going insane for homicide, Don Montoya, the rest of the nation of immigration. And, uh, you know, he just, he stood out. And, uh, you know, at this time, I was already traveling around the country. Me and Key were feuding with each other in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, all over the place. And, um, you know, I was trying to build up a little name for ourselves. And um, Mob shows up to train one day at the Jersey All-Pro Wrestling School. Okay. And Frank and Homicide right away. They're like, oh, we got to put you in Steve. And it was one of those things. I didn't want to do it. I've said that before. It's not a surprise. It's not a secret. He said it. He's known about it. Um... I didn't want to team up with anybody because I was doing my thing. I had my own little singles thing going on. Okay. And, uh, you know, and then eventually I was just like, you know what, screw it, I'll try it. And I had to show them the ropes and take them around and meet, you know, meet all the contacts that I had, you know, get booked in places where I was working. And it wasn't babysitting because he was, he was an older guy, but at the same time, you know, like I had to stop and reset and, you know, if it, if it wasn't because I'm very adaptive to things, okay, I don't know if the team would have worked out because you know you, you got to work at a especially when it's a new guy, you got to slow things down and explain them to him, and you got to show them how things work and why you can't do this and why you can do this, you know, and stuff like that. And it, it took about a good year of being on the road with him and showing him before things really got to click, and then you know things started to click and. We took over the world, and we always called it, it was a five-year murder spree. We just, you know, destroyed everything that we did. Um, we showed the world, you know, that you don't have to look like an MMA guy to be, or be a giant to be a superstar in this business. Absolutely and, not. I agree. I agree. And, you know, we just, uh, we did things the way we did them. And it was, a, it was a good time. And then we went to Japan. And when we came back from Japan, something happened where, you know, it was just we were talking less and he wanted to be a single star. And I was like, dude, there's still money on the table. We could go to the WWE or we could go wherever, you know, and get a shot because we're that good. And I had gotten injured and he just wanted to do the single thing. He had people in his ear who really didn't like me, but they loved him because he was a yes man. Okay. And, uh, you know, he really wanted to, to be on their good side so that he could have his little run. And, uh, you know, fast forward to about six years ago, uh, uh, not even six years, maybe about four years ago, 2014. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it we had teamed up a couple of times here and there, but we were still doing our singles thing. And he still, you could tell he was a little hesitant to do things. Okay. And um, we started teaming up for Beyond Wrestling. 
And when we teamed up for Beyond Wrestling, that's when things got hot for us again. And, you know, even with Beyond Wrestling, he's, he's admitted it. he was afraid to go there because there's the guys who are a lot hungrier, a lot more, you know, uh, athletic than us. But no matter what, they didn't have our brain. They didn't have our expertise. They didn't have our physicality. Things were going great. And then, you know, things started to go off the rails a little and beyond. And we ended up getting fired from there because Moff, and I, you know, I had some disputes. I'm not going to act like it was all him. Okay. Um, I had, I had some disputes with Beyond Wrestling. And then Moff really got vocal and called out Beyond Wrestling on social media. And this is what I was saying before. Social media is the son of a bitch. You know? Right. But he had, he had said some things and we ended up, Beyond Wrestling said, uh, we're not going to use you guys anymore. And it was, it was something that hadn't talked to me. And, you know, he you know, said stuff where I would have been on board. I would have been on board because he was my tag team partner, but he did things on his own and we both got, we both lost out because he spoke out. You know what I mean? And instead of consulting with me, he just went off on his own, did business for himself. And then we're supposed to start wrestling a couple other places. And I'm noticing that they're, they're making the initial call. Hey, we want to use the hit squad. And the next thing I know, I'm always seeing Moss being booked. Okay. And I'm like, what's going on? Oh, boy. So, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole details because I've been saying it for a long time. Right. If you want to get my my response, you're going to have to pay. And the only way you do that is that now you create. Um, no doubt. But, no doubt. You know, there was a lot of things behind the scenes. And you might think I'm the bad guy, but I'm not really the bad guy. I'm just someone who's retaliating. No matter what, just know this. When it comes to Moss, everything had been boiling for a long time. And they say that with taxi partners a lot. You know, they, 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 eventually they work so much together that they hate each other. Right. And, you know, hate might be a strong word, but you know what? It might be the right word for this situation because of all the stuff that I've gone through, all the stuff that he's put me through. And when you look at all the stuff that I've done, it's very unbalanced. I've never done anything to try to cost him a booking never done anything to try to cost him money, but he's done it the other way around. So, um, you know, like I said, I'm not going to go into details because I want, if I'm, if I'm going to go full story, I want to get paid. What happened to Moff in April had been coming for a long, long time. And it just, it just so happened that the first Night Create show, we were the main event. Yes. We took on LAX. We had a killer match. We had a great match. Right? Like we always do with Mike and Angel, because they're great. Yes. They're the, they are in TNA, Impact, or whatever, because of the stuff they did with us. You know what I mean? But we always have killer matches with them. How, after a killer match with guys that we killed it, knocked it out the park with, how is it the next show, I'm not even on the show, but Moth is in the main event? That's a good point. I mean, that's a really good question, Steve, and I'm not even going to knock you for that. I think you're making a strong point. I think each and every one of us, myself as a reporter, the fans, can understand what it's like to have a friend, be in a relationship, be in a partnership where, hey, one of the parties just feel like that partnership is over and it, it should be over with and done. And you decided you wanted to end it not only as a partnership, but you wanted to end it physically. You wanted to take matters into your own hands and leave a message. Back in April at It Was All A Dream NYC, you wanted to make it clear that it's was over. This tag team is finished and you wanted nothing more to do with Dan Moth for the reasons that you just explained to myself and my listeners. I totally understand where you're coming from. And like I said, I think Dan Moth would even be able to understand where you're coming from had the role been reversed. But the issue is this, Steve, and I want to give you an example to help illustrate my point. 1988, long before my time, long before your time, but as I've said earlier, you're a student of the game. I'm a historian and student of the game, so I understand the history of this industry. And part of the history of this industry is a team called Strike Force, former World Wrestling Entertainment Tag Team Champion. Uh, they formed the team in 87, won the Tag Team Championship in WWE from the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart in 1987. Ended up losing those titles after defending them for a few months against Demolition at WrestleMania 4. And not long after that, Rick Martel, 
who was teaming with Tito Santana, the strike force, Rick Martel went down with an injury and was gone for several months. And the significance of this is that Tito Santana went on and thrived as a singles wrestler. And then eventually Rick Martel returned and they reformed the tag team at WrestleMania 5 to face the Brainbusters. Now, during the course of that match, Steve, and I want all of our listeners to listen to this to give you all a little bit of a history lesson. During the course of this match, Rick Martel decided he no longer wanted to team with Santana after receiving an inadvertent flying forearm. Martel was angry about it, and he walked out in the middle of the match at WrestleMania 5. It didn't get physical at that moment as Martel simply walked out. But it got physical for many months and many years to come. And for years, Santana and Martel hated each other. Former world tag team champions hated each other and fought in every arena all over the country because Martel turned his back on Santana. The point I'm trying to drive home and the question that I'm going to lead up to, Steve, is this. In April at It Was All a Dream NYC, you decided to end the tag team the historic hit squad tag team with you and Dan Moff by attacking Dan Moff and beating that man down. Let's call a spade a spade. With all due respect to Dan Moff, you beat him down in a major way. You made your point. You made your point. The team was over. When, as soon as you laid hands on that man, the team was over. The team was done. You made your point. You could have walked out, you could have left it where it was, and it would have been over. Hey, maybe Dan Moff would have wanted revenge, maybe not, who knows. But then June 3rd comes around, Dan Moff is in a different match. As you explained, he was in the main event at NYC Get Rich or Die Trying, and you jump the railing. Actually, I was standing right there, by the way, reporting on the event. You ran right back by me, jumped the railing, and beat him down again. I mean, you, you dropped him on his head and beat him down again, costing him a match against the, the COD, and it was, it was crazy. You just, you just brutalized him for the second time. So I, I say all that to say this. After you proved your point at It Was All a Dream, why t attack him again June 3rd at Get Rich or Die Trying? Why not attack him? He's in a spot where... He's feeling a high. He's teaming with Homicide. He's teaming with, um, oh, oh my God, I, what's his name? Rays, mm -hmm. right? Right, Rays, he, yep. He's got, he's got these, these cats in the Bronx cheering for him. But they don't know what kind of snake he is the way I do. Wow. My thing is, my thing is, ultimately, everyone's going to see this true story. There's always three sides. My side, your side, and the truth. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, my side and the truth are pretty similar. And for Moff, unfortunately, not so much. So he might play as the victim. Oh, Steve attacked me. <laughs> Whatever. But like I said, there's a reason why everything happened. He brought this upon himself. He pushed things to be where they are. Sometimes in wrestling, things are real. And I know, you know, we've been talking strictly open as far as this. And I don't want people to be like, oh, he's getting into promo mode. Fact is, there have been times in wrestling where people who really hate each other really end up working each other. Because right. that beef, that blood, that bad blood, that boil, people feel that. They see that. And they, they, they become invested in it. This is something where they asked me. I didn't want to work with him because I already had a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't want to do anything with him because I don't want to make him more famous than what I've already made him. But at the same time, when the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? I'll tear him down. Okay. I'll bring him down and I'll expose him. And then at the end, because listen, my run... It's coming to an end soon. Mm -hmm. It's not going to last long. Nobody's on this planet forever. Right. So before I'm done in the ring, my goal of exposing Mob for the snake that he really is is going to be done. and It's going to be completed. And 
this is just the early stage. I promise you, this is just the early stages of what's going on with me and Mar. And then just understand, very smart guy. And you can see that just by talking to me. You yes. see, I'm not an idiot. Not at all. Not at but all. But everything that's going on is leading to something, and it will take place at Natty Creek. And I promise that we're not going to spill it out anywhere else. If I wanted to, I could have gotten him at Warriors or Wrestling because we were both in the building at the same time. Right. If I wanted to knock him out there. There's been other places that we've been at the same time, and I could have knocked him out there. But I'm not going to. I could be a professional. I can be, you know, someone who knows how to handle themselves in front of people. But when the time comes and the spotlight is on, guarantee you, I will expose Moss. I got to tell you, as, as we've had this tremendous interview, which is about to come to a close, and I want to thank you for your time, your voice and your mannerism on this interview has changed. And I got to tell you, the intensity from us talking and, and kind of talking reminiscent about how you got into the business and how and your love for the business. And when the subject matter went to Dan Moff, I got to tell you, slowly but surely, your voice and your whole aura has changed. I mean, there is clearly a personal issue. And all I can say is that HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com will be there on August 10th, 2018. For now, you create. Shout out to El Rey All Day and the entire team over there. This is going to be epic. We don't know if it's going to be a match we don't know what the situation is going to be, but I do know this. I know that Steve Mack will be in the building. And if Dan Moff is also in the building, anything and everything is liable to happen. So, wow. I mean, is there anything if else you'd like there, to If he's there, I can tell you this. If he's there, I've been saying this. And if you got to bleep this, then you bleep it. But this is just, it's, it's a real thing mm -hmm. between us. Right. And if he's there, I've been saying it. He ain't gonna do shit because the fact of the matter is, he does not have the nutsack to go after me and still sleep at night with all the stuff that he's done. You understand where I'm coming from with that? I understand what you're saying, sir. I understand. There I understand. you go. There you go. That's why I can do because I've got so much years of frustration, so much years of just anger and just pure motivation to go out there and shut him down and i like i said it's not going to happen all in one night because that'd be too easy mm. it has to go on over time and i guarantee you he's not going to do anything to me he doesn't have it if he's there he might not even show up who the hell knows right i right. tell you this though whether i was supposed to have a match or not i'm beating somebody's ass that night <laughs> I, I can guarantee you that someone's gonna get their ass I respect that, Steve, and I appreciate your time. Listen, uh, if you could come down off of this high that you're on right now, because I can tell you're fired up, if you could just take the time to tell all the fans here on HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com and your fans, I mean, your fans and wrestling fans that are listening to this podcast are one and the same, please tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Well, let me just uh, first thank everyone who has followed and supported me through the years, uh, through the decade. Um, you know, it, it, it hasn't been an easy road, but a lot of the time, especially like in places like Beyond, where we went toe-to-toe -to -toe with War Machine, and we went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Gargano and Ciampa, and uh, Death by Elbow, and uh, LAX, EYFBO, and Ticket to the Jaka, and, you know, and other places, Jersey All-Pro, and all the places that I've wrestled, Ring of Honor, and you fans have always been there and supported me, you supported my friends. And even though I hate Mop, you supported me and Mop when we were the hit squad and we were killing it. And I respect you and I thank you all for buying a ticket and coming down and showing us love. Even if you booed us, that motivated us to do better and make you hate us more. But, you know, um, you can always find me at um, Steve Mack, uh, S-T-E-V-E-M-A-C-K-D-H-S, uh, stands for the hit squad. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I've had people ask me, how come you still have DHS? Uh, did you break the team up? Yeah, I broke the team up, but the, the hit squad is mine. It uh, doesn't go with him. He could have other partners and call himself the squad, whatever. But everybody that I team up with has always come out of it looking like legitimate superstars. Guys like Havoc from the Solution, Low Life Louie, and now you got Kyle the Beast, who is one of the most amazing talents anywhere. And the guy's tearing it up, might be getting some TV time soon, which I'm hoping. But, you know, I always...
to make the best out of what I'm given. And every partner that I have always blows up. So I can keep the hit squad because I helped to make that. I earned that. It's mine. I've always kept it alive. I've always shown everyone the respect that the hit squad should get whenever you hear it. And, uh, you know, with him, not so much. But uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Like I said, just look up Steve Mac DHS. And uh, I'm pretty sure you'll find my pretty face. Yo, that's what's up. Yo, you heard it here first on the HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com podcast. Yo, we're so blessed and honored to have had such a major superstar of the industry on this podcast, man. Listen, uh, I don't know if Dan Moff is listening, but, um, you know. I'll tag him so you can see here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, we definitely know he's going to be listening. And I know anybody else who's listening is going to be real pleased with what they heard on tonight because uh, this is some serious stuff. And I can't wait. I can't wait to be sitting ringside. As I do have press credentials, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to act like I'm not excited to have press credentials for the upcoming Now You Create event that's going to be live in New York City on August 10th, 2018. Listen, Steve Mack will be there. I'm going to be there. I got to thank you one more time for being on the show, my dude. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, real quick, I um, might seem a little petty. I don't care, but... Uh, this is a little message to Vince Steele. I know you got your thing going on with, uh, uh, Riot, uh, Riot Rays. Riot Rays and um, Vince Steele, absolutely. But, uh, I am not cool with you stealing my move. Uh, and one day you will catch a slap in the face for pulling some of my moves off while I'm in the building. Uh, and it, had I known while I was at the building, I would slap you in the face there. But, I'm gonna let you know right now, if we ever get in the ring, when you catch the two-piece to the dome, you know why you got that. Yo, listen, this is the second time. Listen, Ivy Roman of the great of the greatest of all time stable on behalf of her brother, Riot Rays, has called you out, Vince Steele. Now the legendary Steve <laughs> Mack has called you out. Listen, Vince, you got you to gotta step up and say something. The podcast is here. You got something to say, man. You got a lot of people calling your name out. It's time for you to respond. You know how to reach me. Hit me up. I'm going to hit you up. We got to get you on the show to do a retort because uh, when Steve Matt calls you out, it's something you need to respond to. Listen, we're going to wrap this show up, but uh, we want to thank Steve Matt once again at the Hit Squad. You, you heard what he said. The Hit Squad belongs to him, and I, I rue the day anybody else challenges that. But listen, I'm Sean H. He's Steve Matt, and this was the HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com podcast. We're out of here. Peace. This has been a production of HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com, home of the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly podcast. The very best in professional wrestling, both independent and mainstream. The ideas and content of this show are the exclusive property of HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com. The opinions of its hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone, as this show and website are not associated with any professional wrestling organization.